It's time to get hypnopompic. Welcome back to Dark Place Dreamers, episode eight. It's myself and Dark Place Robert. I'm here as well. Yes, hello. How are you, Hypnam? Not too bad. We we just watched the second episode of The Sandman. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. Um, you're complaining that it's a lot shorter than the first episode, and it's also shorter than the next episode. Yeah, I just feel like there was weird choices of like where to put the episode markers, you know, just to make them, they should be more equal length. But look, it's fine because the first episode was very good and told like a nice, not complete story, obviously it, it leads into the next episodes, but I think it told a good story and ended where it should have ended. So I'm not complaining. And uh, this episode was nowhere near as good as the first one. You didn't like it. It's a lot of setup. The next episode, the next few episodes are, are really good. Okay, um, but it is setting. It I feel up. tricked. <laughs> you feel tricked. Okay, is it because it didn't take place in a nice little Downton Abbey household? Well, look, obviously that is a major flaw, but also the fact that the first episode I feel told like quite a nice linear story. There was a beginning and end of the story of the the sexy naked boy in the cage, glass cage. This episode is a lot of jumping back and forth, different plot threads, different timelines. I just didn't feel that it... I like the style of the first episode more, where it's just, here is a story, you know? Yeah, I actually can't remember how they did it in the comic books. I don't think there was so much jumping about, but it was more acceptable to do transitions like that from night mm. into day like uh, we had one scene where um, Abel is murdered by Cain again and uh, then later that night he, he comes out of his grave um, you couldn't do that in a television series to have that time jump because that would imply that this amount of time has passed so if you want to go back and deal with what the dream is doing now, it's, you know, you're actually, you know, you have to ask the question, what has the dream been doing all that time? He's just yeah, 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 I see what you mean. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one to deal with in this adaptation. I much prefer a linear story. I don't know. I'm now worried that I'm not going to like the show as much as I thought I would after the first episode. But we'll see how it goes with the next one. I think there's a few episodes like this that are building up to other events, but there's enough. There's enough big events, like uh, yeah, there's some weird episodes. Okay, I so what what happens in this shorter episode, and it's a good bit shorter. It's only about three fifths the length of the last episode, just over half. Like it is a lot shorter. Um, we open the episode with. I'm going to have to remember his... I'm going to have to call him Morpheus, but I liked just, just calling him... Dream. Okay, I, I liked calling him things like just the sexy naked guy and, you know, not not really, like, naming him. You're just um, annoyed that he has clothes this episode. He has clothes this time. <laughs> He's not as handsome <laughs> anymore either. No. Um, so Morpheus, the dream... Um, He's in his realm and it's all falling apart. So that picks up where it left off last time, really. Um, and he's got his little um, servant, I guess, like friend, advisor, whoever she is with him. And like, there you go. Uh, didn't see any books. And yeah, I mean, that's that's how we open. He's there. She's giving him advice. He wants to consult the fits. 
Um, she does say, why don't you consult your siblings, you know, like Destiny and so forth, the other. And he says, like, no, they didn't really come to help me. And I thought, yeah, that's fair enough. And I said to you, look, one of the things that always makes me fall out with my siblings is when I'm trapped naked in a glass cage for 20 years and the entire realm I've built uh, falls apart and collapses and all my subjects leave and, he, you know, they don't come and help me. So that always you don't mind it when me. I do that to you for an afternoon? No, no. But the, it's one that you expect more from family than friends, you know? Uh, I guess they're, all doing their, they're, they're all doing that kind of their own shindig. As he said, they have their realms to look after. I have mine. I mean, normally I let you put me in the glass cage just for fun, you know? <laughs> Um, moving swiftly <laughs> we're not even in the same uh, land man country yeah. so don't uh... <laughs> I love that little bit of reassurance it's like we are literally separated by a large body of water <laughs> just in case anyone's worrying like what are we listening to <laughs> no um, <laughs> confessions so I thought my book boys would be more macho than this <laughs> So that's how we, we opened there. Um, so what happens after that? Do we see Cain and Abel next? Uh, yes. So he has to draw in a lot more strength. Uh, he tries to reconstruct his realm and build his, rebuild his castle. He you know manages to cause everything to float up into the air and just fall back down again. Uh, so he has to go away and gather up some strength. Uh, so we can do this by... Uh, reabsorbing dreams that he created from himself. Mm-hmm. He couldn't reabsorb Cain and Abel because uh, he didn't create them, I think, right? Yeah, it was something that humanity had actually conjured up the first but story. The best scene of the episode is just before we meet Cain and Abel because they're living in what looks like a nice, idyllic little land, little kind of Tudor style houses. Yeah. And they thought, oh, how lovely. And then a flipping dragon. <laughs> flies across my screen and I am so incensed and I, I really feel gargoyle. the swindle of the century is that you have told me this is not a dragon but a gargoyle uh, it looks very much like a dragon um, and very CGI so I, I, I really was getting not happy but spoiler alert thank goodness the dragon dies um, <laughs> because that would have just ruined everything that scene did annoy me a little bit. Um, I, you know, everybody's very, very sad about it. Obviously, the librarian, Cain and Abel. Yeah, that's acceptable. I felt like the dream should have been a lot colder. Yeah, he was just displaying too much uh, emotion, was he? This bastion yeah, it, of stoicism. He was upset. He was visibly like, <laughs> oh, I'm kind of sorry. He was please. a bit, yeah. So we should and, say that the dream likes to um, act by not really displaying very much emotion uh, generally. Um, you know, he cries in the last episode. Actually, at the end, most of the episode he displays no emotion. This time, he, cry at the end? he does cry at one point, doesn't he? He cries. Well, sorry, when the Raven dies. Yeah, yes. not not at the very end. But um, I mean, he doesn't weep. It's a single tear on the end of his nose. But that's yeah, about... there we go. Very manly. So he is the. <laughs> if you are, if you are a fourteen-year-old emo girl, right? You are in love with this chap. Um. He's got his black clothes and his black hair and his pale skin and he's very uh, brooding and he doesn't he doesn't put any emotion into his his voice at all and there's not really happiness or sadness there's just a lot of we are going to do this thing and we are going to do the thing in a very intense voice but it's slightly whispery 
And that's how he speaks for the entire episode. I liked him better when he didn't speak. Oh, dear. Um, just on that note, the only reason I read these comic books when I was uh, a teenager myself was because I was dating, when I was 14, I was dating a 14-year-old emo girl. <laughs> I and knew she it. lent me a few of her dad's comics, and I was all over and under them and went out and bought my own. Mm. Um, so that's, I, I, feel, uh, I feel personally attacked now, Dean. Well, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I guessed it. Like, I didn't, I didn't know this. <laughs> um, this is what this guy is. Uh, he's your your sexy, brooding, um, emotionless void for the girls to come in and fix. And um, yeah, that's that's what he is. So we meet Ken and Abel, and he goes to them, and this is very funny, actually. So he says to them, you know, he needs their help. And... They're like, oh, of course, anything, absolutely anything, no problem. And one of them says, like, come into my house. And the other says, no, come into my house. I've got tea. And I'm thinking, ah, you've got it, you've got it. And the other one says, I've got tea and biscuits. It's like, oh, this is <laughs> proper warfare. Um, but the most hilarious part is after saying, yes, take anything, like you're our lord and master, anything at all. Like, what do these people have that anyone could possibly want? They just live in, like, a little hut in the middle of a forest, Right. They have nothing of value to essentially a god, right? Apart from the dragon. And they say, take anything you want to help you fix the world. And then the one thing they could possibly have that he would want, they're like, what? You want to take that thing? We didn't mean that thing. You can't take that. So, well, what did you think he wanted? And they stand in front of tea and biscuits. (laughs) And they're like, no, no, you can't take this one. And they, they want to, you know, protect um, little um, Gregory the dragon. And the best, the best thing gargoyle. is hmm? gargoyle, gargoyle, Gregory the gargoyle. Uh, he's playing. He's a little child dragon, and he's playing with his ball. And he lives in a like a little wooden doghouse, like in Tom and Jerry, when the dog is in the little doghouse or in Snoopy or something. And he says to him, like. It's time to in this in this what I saw as like a fake traumatic moment. This is the bit you were mentioning where he looks sad because he has to absorb Gregory, essentially, you know, killing him. I guess absorbing his energy. He's like, but you've done good work, Gregory. Really? He's playing with his ball. Like he's running around yeah. playing with his ball. It's like you've done good work. Dreams don't have to. Time you to know, go. Uh, a represents childlike innocence in a very monstrous body. You know that's uh, that's pretty much every child going through puberty. You don't, you you know you don't no, know. No, but it's kind of goes. like you know, in the grand scheme of things in the universe, we've all got our part to play. Gregory has fulfilled his. He's he, you know his journey is at an end. It's like it's a kid <laughs> kicking a ball around with his nose. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but it, it's still valuable work. Everybody has their part to play and pitch in, and you know, no job is you know, blah blah blah. So the first shock of the episode comes when he kills Gregory. Off he goes, and then um, at this point, I hadn't picked up on the names of Cain and Abel, so I was very shocked when Cain takes a pitchfork and kills Abel. I it's the first thing that is mentioned. I don't think it's explained very well it's just like these are two characters um so it is a bit of a weird one and also because the dream realm you know the rules don't really apply um you you, yeah you've made the connection there 
Yeah, and look, it's but fine. I- he he says something silly and cartoony, like you sniveling fool or something, uh, which I didn't like, and then kills him with a pitchfork. Um, He's just very mean to him. And I thought, oh no, they, his brothers killed the other one. Like, what's going on? But it turns out to be inconsequential. He, like, does that on a regular basis. And we see later that he's, like, you know, in a shallow grave and he's back alive. And there's lots of little graves around because he's killing him, like, every day, basically, or at least on a semi-regular basis. I mean, yeah, that's the story of Cain and Abel. Every that's time you tell that they story, do. yeah, those concepts have to act that out, I guess. Now, we are going to mix our mythologies a little bit because we've got um, a little bit of Christianity there and we're about to go and mix some uh, Greek stuff in soon. But um, Oh, yeah. We'll get to uh, that. So once he's gained his power back, uh, he goes to this lake on a pier. I never quite understood this. So there's um, a lot of brooding scenes. Um, it's like a dark water and a dark background and a dark sky with this little <laughs> curvy wooden pier and he's standing on there a lot with the library. I'm going to call her his assistant because I ain't seen her with any books yet. And they're standing around and there's a lot of you know him brooding and t- talking about it very intensely about going to fix everything in this well shot but you know whatever. And he reaches into the water and there's a nice cinematic scene where he's got to gather up these things. And he takes like a crossroads from this little village and, and, and a hangman's noose and different um, as snake and different things like that. And then the scene's shot very well and it all comes out and the camera pans out through his eye and stuff. And I thought that was a little bit of good, good filmmaking, actually. I, I'll, give, I'll give that scene props. I did really enjoy it, actually. The, the mm-hmm. iris moving and yeah, from, yeah just... Those elements were taken from the comic books and they just did really, really well, actually. They did. Uh, even, the, even the narration was, uh, I really enjoyed it. Just everything was perfect. Yeah, it was, it was a good scene. And he's gathering up things to give to the fates. Um, roughly around this time, we also see a very sexy blonde woman. Um, and she's like speaking French and I think maybe Italian as well. Um, but it turns out it's the same blonde lady who took off with the baby and the things last time. Oh, no. Do you remember her name? It's not important. Um, okay. <laughs> and she's there, and she's like some kind of art dealer, I guess, or or trader in in wares. And she's doing very well for herself. And who should show up in her house but the cool eighties guy with his octagonal glasses and his cream suit jacket, standing in her house like an absolute badass mofo. I like this guy. So this guy's the, the Corinthian. Corinthian, yes. I like Corinthian. And his first appearance is that he's stirring her gin and tonic and he's just about to drink her drink, which I think is just... Yeah, it's a very boss move. It's a very power move. Um, I've decided that he's the good guy in all of this. <laughs> no, Dean, he, he, he murders people all the time. Ah, who doesn't murder a few people here and there? Okay, we're going to call the police on you. <laughs> Your favourite movies are all about serial killers. And, are. and now we have another character, this Corinthian, whose eyes are mouths. So behind his glasses are... Look, the, the, I, I was saying to you, like, look at this sexy couple. And you're like, well, I don't know like, if she should sleep with him. His eyes are mouths. Like, you can't get over one little thing. I just, I, I, you like, know, it's the, the idea body of being able to nibble your ears. You know? 
There's somebody nibbling your earlobes with their eyes is just <laughs> so he I'm, I'm he good. threatens to use his mouth eyes on her because he wants to get back you know the helmet and the ruby and things that, that were belonging to the dream uh not really sure why he wants them um he's just a meddler i guess yeah they, these instruments can be used against the dream because a lot of the dreams has placed his power in those uh tools she says you'll regret that and then she's got some kind of necklace amulet thing that makes him not blow up but disintegrate yeah i guess that's actually the best way of putting it it's the this is the amulet of protection it stops her from aging as well you'll notice in the episode uh, that she's not as old as she should be she looks a little Um, bit older but not as old as she should be because later we meet her son who is like looks older than her (laughs) nearly the same age (laughs) or the same age at least yeah um yeah. So yeah, the the amulet of protection causes um, the Corinthian to disintegrate. Um, that is actually a really important instrument in the next episode as well. If you don't mind, I know it's skipping ahead a little bit, but just to put a tail on her story, because she only appears once again, and we've already alluded to it. She goes to see her son, who's in some kind of secure institution, which she calls a prison, but she calls a hospital. And she says, we need to talk about the Ruby. That's kind of her story done for this episode. So I might as well just get out of the way in 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, it's a weird conversation. It's just very... Yeah, it's a, it's weirdly intense. And she's like, I'm your mother. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. And it's like, yeah, in this really cold and like not with any warmth <laughs> or emotion kind of way, you know, but... Uh, that happens a little bit later, but let's just... No, it's not really worth much conversation from us, so let's yeah. just kind of throw it out there. Okay, fair enough. Um, we can also close off with Corinthian's story pretty quickly, um, because the last thing he does is reappear in the Dreams realm and talk to the librarian, and he kind of yeah. closes the episode with with the kind of cliffhanger that, like, well, if the dream comes after me, you know, then he'll never return here again, because, you know, I'm a big tough guy kind of thing and, <laughs> and off he goes so yeah that. um that's that's pretty much it so the corinthian is still at large and um we've got a setup for the next episode yeah so let's uh, spend the rest of our time talking about what happens with the dream yes because this is actually there's a lot to dissect from this it's really meaty piece just there's one sentence in this that i really want to go into a lot of depth on but um yeah if you want to because there's a lot of well there is a fourth story we can quickly wrap up Cain and Abel as well and because obviously we discovered that Abel is reborn again and they have a new little dragon egg and they want to name him Irvine and then he says they always have to begin with a G so he names him Gervine so then he kills him again for giving him a stupid name um because gargoyles always start with with a G and then he's alive again the next day and he talks to the little baby gargoyle in the egg. So that's that's their thing. But yeah, the main, uh, the main story now is, is with um, the dream. So he goes to see Hecate with his offerings. Um, I like when he catches the snake. Not just in his cloak? Yeah, because he doesn't grab it by the hand. He, he just swooshes the cloak and it's, it's gone. Like it's inside, it's captured, but it's not like, it just looks very effortless. Like snake jumps and like swoosh. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's where we broke up. We were talking about uh, that entire dream sequence by the pier. Um, now it's nice to be able to talk about a show and be able to talk about a dream sequence, and it's a coherent mm. part and integral part of the story. Like this is, these are all things that are actually happening, even though it's a dream sequence. 
Um, so he's gathered up his three offerings, the crossroads, the... Um, is a crossroads, there's the, a hangman's noose, there's a snake. Is there a fourth one? He gathers up uh, the egg. Which ah, is yes, the egg which he then gives to them. Yeah. So he does gather ah. that up, but he doesn't give it as an offering. He only offers three things. Three offerings three. because, yeah, of course. So the Hecate is the three-bodied um, goddess, I guess. I don't know what she is in this. Like, she is a Greek goddess. Um, uh, she's the, the fates, fates I, mean, I guess. Yeah. Yes, the Sandman does have a lot of mythology strewn throughout the entire thing. Um, like, the Norse and Egyptian religions are actual characters that show up mm-hmm. in the comic book later on. But she, um, he refer, they refer to each other as like sister self, which I, which I like. Um, but it is three differently aged um, women, and they are supposed. Well, you can't call them differently aged. They're, they have specific roles. They're a cavern. Well, that's more. I think you know more about that than than I do. The crone, the uh, mother, and the maid. There we go. They are differently aged women. Um, but we looked it up because I, you know, my, my main knowledge of Hecate was from Macbeth, where she's a very, very, very minor character, you know, who is the kind of mentor of the three witches. Um, but they never mentioned her being three bodied. So I looked it up and it does say that, you know, not always, but in later depictions in Greek mythology, she was three formed or three bodied. Um, but the line that we talked the most about, which has absolutely no bearing on the show, is the bit where they mention something about Cersei and they just say, well, that's in the past and they move on, you know. Um, and we got very interested in that. Um, so Cersei, of course, is the is another minor kind of Greek goddess from uh, the Odyssey. And she's the one who turns people into animals with Odysseus and, and Telemachus and so forth. And, and Odysseus kind of forms the, the rescue, but a lot of his crew have been turned into uh, animals. As far as I remember, Odysseus spends a lot of time just like fawning around there, like eating food and hanging out. He does that a couple of times. He goes to someone else's <laughs> island and does the same thing. But, about a year. Yeah, he likes to just hang out and, and have, sleep with goddesses, really. It's um, more about the destination of the <laughs> journey, you know. Um, but we talked a lot about that. Um, that was, it, it turned out, um, apparently, that Cersei is Hecate's daughter, although I don't think... The show didn't make that clear. I don't know if they didn't know that or if it wasn't relevant, but they they move on. Uh, yeah, so uh, Cersei is the daughter of Hecate and Apollo. Um, I'm sure there's somebody who's going to correct me on, on all Sorry, of this Cersei should be the daughter of Hecate and Helios. Oh. The sun god. But you were you were you were mentioning Telemachus, um, Odysseus's son, to Penelope in Ithaca, and how um, you reminded me of a detail that I wasn't clear on. That you know, Cersei apparently wanted to give up her kind of powers for Telemachus. Uh, it's been a while; it's been a year or so since I've read the Odyssey, so I'm not I'm not 100 clear yeah. on that. So the entire concept here and why it appears in the show is that uh, Cersei had a dream that uh, she could seduce Telemachus if she gave up her immortality. And within the dream, it explained how she could give up her uh, immortality as well. So it was essentially uh, the dreamer, the Orpheus in the show, but told Hecate's daughter 
how to kill herself. Or I uh, don't know about killing herself, but how to live a mortal life. Yeah. This is interesting because I remember that she was definitely sleeping with Odysseus a lot, I think. Guys, do you know what you should do? Yeah. Pause the show. And right here on our Patreon, you can find a full one hour long episode about the Odyssey that I did with a podcast called Well That Aged Well. And you can go and listen to that and then come back um, because we went in, in depth there. Um, my favorite part is when I wanted to double check that it was definitely Hecate from Macbeth. So then I said, hold on, I'll just whip out my Macbeth. And then in my head, I heard you say, do you say that to all the boys? But you did not say that. <laughs> I was too frightened. <laughs> so um, he talks to the fates. What, what does he achieve here by talking to the fates? And so he finds out uh, where his three to- instruments are, his three tools. Uh, he finds out that his bag of sand was last sold by Constantine. Uh, he then also finds out that, sorry, Constantine is also a character within the DC universe. Um, right. Not so the Roman Emperor. Uh, no, but very closely linked, actually, I think. Um, actually, I can't remember what the link there is. There is a link somewhere. Okay. Uh, but yes, so the Bag of Sand was last sold by uh, Constantine. Um, the helmet was traded by your one, the yeah, the blonde girl. The blonde girl. Oh, that's awful. We can't just call her the blonde <laughs> girl. Uh, it was traded by the blonde girl to a demon for the amulet of protection. So that's how she ended up with the amulet of protection. And also the ruby. Uh, I can't remember the detail of the ruby, actually. Well, but he was to- also told how to find the ruby. We're going to find out because I guess in the next episodes, he's going to go and get those things. So, uh, yeah, in the next few episodes, actually. So this features the majority of the um, adventure. Okay. But not I... all the episodes. Okay. I am trying to find out the name of the blonde girl. Because that might be relevant. But I've looked up the cast and there's so many people that I don't <laughs> know where to start. Like I've Googled Sandman blonde girl. Oh, there's so many fantastic characters in. Like, there's so many Is it amazing Rose? actors. There's a Rose. No, 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 no. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm looking up the cast as well. She doesn't do a lot in this episode, anyway. No, um, she doesn't do a lot in the next few episodes, actually. No. So this is kind of where we end, right? We we've spoken to the Fates. He's gonna go get his things. And obviously, it's around here where we have those little final scenes from the other characters that we already mentioned. And that's it. That's it for episode two, right? Yeah. It's nicely wrapped up and ready for the next episode. So uh, I, I thought there was a bit of CGI with the gargoyle. I thought there was a silly line from Cain and Abel. I thought there's a couple of goofy bits with them. I did laugh. At one point, um, just when he's always killing him and things, and they said something funny, but I don't know, there's a couple of bits. The episode didn't flow as well for me. It wasn't as artistic. Uh, you know, a straight A to B linear story in a nice Victorian-style mansion worked a lot better for me than different scenes jumping back and forth, mixed in with like a little bit of goofiness and a little bit of over-melodrama with, the, with uh, Morpheus. Uh, I, di- I didn't like the style as much. 
as the first episode, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering how you're going to fare up the next few episodes. I oh, know. do fare away from a lot of the old Victorian stuff. Did the first uh, episode trick me into thinking that this was a show I'm going to like, and then it's not? I hope not, because there are some fantastic scenes. <laughs> like the cafe scene, I it's it's just haunting. I love it. Well, we will do our next uh, episode and we will find out. I suspect I've been swindled. <laughs> even. I've but... done a fine job. <laughs> we will we will find out next time. Um I feel like anybody who's who's listening to these podcasts in the future, like after these have been published, published, released, and you know it's a few years in the future, and they listen to the second episode, they're going to find out why there's only four episodes in the podcast. <laughs> no, we started. We'll do them all, but um, <laughs> I, I start. I think I'm going to start very positive, and then just get a little bit worse, like as we go along. You know, by episode ten, I'll be like, I knew it. His goddamn superhero companies with their nonsense. <laughs> It does. The last few episodes do take place in America. Of course. So you, yeah. But in a nice house. Oh, still. Okay. Anyway. Right. Guys, have a sleepy day. Is that a good way to end? <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like, do I, did I say something last time? And good night? Good night. Good night. And God bless something. Ah, oh, now you've ruined it. I have. I brought no blessings. Anything.